I'm Nick, and as Shannon shared, um, I have had the opportunity and blessing under the authority of the elders to be on sabbatical this year, and I've really enjoyed that. I have four months left. I'm supposed to come back in May. Is that right, Tom? You let me know if, if it's going to change, but uh, so far it's May. And I'm excited uh, about the journey that God has had me on over the course of this year. It's not always been an easy journey in my mind. Hey, I get to, like, lay in the sun. I get to play golf. I get to just hang out with friends. And I'm not going to have an, a disturbance in my life at any level. None of that's going to happen. Oh, oh. Isn't, that, isn't that the fool's way of thinking about how God guides us forward in a, in a process? Did I hear an amen from back there? Yeah, thank you. My character is, I have a character of urgency. It's the nature that God gave me, and it has both a positive side and a negative side to it. I sell software to make money for my family, and that, that character of urgency pays off in that particular role. But there's also many times in which I have to have a character of patience, and it's hard for me to have a character of patience. I think if you uh, sat down with my wife and said, could you give me one example of Nick not having patience, she'd probably go, which one of the ten would you like me to share with you? And so as I entered this period of Sabbath sabbatical, I was hopeful that I wouldn't have to grow in any way whatsoever. <laughs> God didn't have that in mind. <laughs> so I go on a sabbatical in May. And God did give us, I think, about three weeks of that whole get to rest in the sun, play golf, go hiking type of mentality, right? It probably went for about three weeks, and then it came to an abrupt end, and I mean an abrupt end. Midweek, we are doing nothing, go to bed, nothing special, had a nice dinner, nothing great that day, nothing dramatic that day, go to bed, I get up in the middle of the night, to use the potty. That happens. I get back in bed. I'm halfway asleep still. I lay down in bed, and I do one of those log rolls in bed that you always do to get back in a comfortable spot. And I get hit with benign positional vertigo in a way that you can't even possibly imagine. It was like a bolt of lightning went through my head. And I went from, my heart rate went from probably 50, I have a really low resting heart rate, rate went probably 50 to over 160 within 30 seconds, and I'm just like, my head is spinning horribly. I get up out of bed. I can't walk. I stumble sideways, crash onto the floor. Colleen's like, she's sound asleep. She wakes up, what's wrong? And I said, it's not okay. <laughs> you make it to the toilet, start vomiting horribly. I'm sorry I'm telling you too much, but this is just the way it's going. Start vomiting horribly, can't stop it. Like, it won't stop. You know when old films go like this and you can see the, the different lenses going back and forth like this? That's what my eyes are looking like and my eyes are doing this and I cannot stop it. And if you don't stop this sort of thing, you can have a heart attack. I mean, it can kill you. And fortunately, I stay pretty fit, so my heart's keeping up with all this. And it's happened to me once before, many, probably about three or four years ago, but it wasn't nearly this bad. So a doctor had instructed me on how to get my way out of it. 
and you have to go through these maneuvers. But as you do these maneuvers and you go sideways and upside down and stuff to try and reorient your ear, because what happens is a crystal breaks loose in your ear and it causes your inner ear to spin, it makes it even worse. So my beautiful wife is encouraging me and I'm going through these epilee maneuvers to try and recorrect it and get it back to normal again and I'm vomiting. I mean, it went on probably 24 hours just horribly. And then it settled down and I've recovered about 90%, I would say, but it will come back. It just has been nagging at me during my entire sabbatical. And there's been points of frustration where I've thought, God, why? Like, really? Why? And God just keeps reminding me, my grace is enough. I just hear that over and over. My grace is enough. And despite the suffering that's happening in your life right now, I need you to know that my grace is enough. And this is a design for you in the middle of sabbatical, whether you want it or not. My grace for you is enough. And that's hard to hear when you're suffering. You have to be really patient in those moments. And we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be entering the world of James. And we've been spending a number of weeks in this place. And it's a beautiful book because it describes a place in history in which the people of the church, they called the way at that time, Christians today, were suffering miserably. They were under horrible persecution. They were marginalized and ostracized from their community, not allowed to participate in the economy. It was really tough for them. And James is encouraging them. And this book is about the practical applications of what he wants the people in the diaspora, the 12 tribes that have been dispersed, to do with their lives. It's not necessarily a book about high theology. It's a playbook of this is what I want the community to do, particular actions that represent our faith. And so patience is our focus today, but it's always about the gospel. It's always about Jesus Christ and the cross, isn't it? Amen. So let's spend some time unpacking this idea of patience and what it is. So you'll see a slide up here, and it's got some descriptive terms on here. I think it's really good to do some level setting regarding what patience is so that we can go into this process with a good working definition. So let's spend some time on this. So um, there, the word patience, and I, I love to use the Greek, right? Let's use the sounds that the people at the time used to describe the Scriptures so, the word patience in the Greek, makrothumia, makrothumia, makrothumia. Say these words, let them go into your ears and enter your heart. It's the way they talked, right? And it helps us understand and connect with the past. Patience means to forbear, it's long suffering, it's waiting a sufficient time before expressing an anger, a frustration, or a want. It embraces steadfastness and staying power. Psalm 46.10 is a great psalm, isn't it? Uh, Be still and know that I am God. Boy, I've heard that one in my head go around and around the last few months. Be still and know that I am God. You're a human. Be still, Nick. Be still and know that I am God. Shannon's very good at this. I am not so good at it. 
I need to have people in my life that are good at this to example this power of the Spirit so that I can be led by them as Jesus leads us all. There's a couple pieces of Scripture here that I want to spend a moment on because I think it's really good to help us get the handles on what patience is. As we go through this, patience isn't something that we express in every circumstance. Some circumstances need to be urgent. They need to be urgent. They shouldn't be patient. And we have to have the discernment to understand the difference, right? But so many times we're not patient when we should be patient. And so today we're going to build that understanding up and we're going to create that discernment. But let's read a couple pieces of Scripture to really level set this. I'm going to go to the book of Ecclesiastes right now, chapter 3. And you've all read this before, but it's good to remember a time for everything. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear down and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Good reminders, brothers and sisters, that our discernment in the Spirit is critical to understanding our behavioral actions in the kingdom of God, right? We represent our Lord Jesus Christ, and there's times for all the motions that we go through. And one of those big motions requires patience, and that's where James is going to take us today. And We're going to lean in on that concept, but I don't want you to walk away today going, I need to be patient in every single circumstance, because sometimes the Lord will say, you need to be urgent right now especially when we're combating sin in our own hearts or helping another go through it. You need to be urgent. Let's not be patient when it comes to sin. Let's be urgent. There's a beautiful piece of Scripture that I think helps us really take hold of this from Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. It's verse 28. Lots of times people misunderstand patience as weakness. They misunderstand patience as weakness. And the Apostle Paul is actually going to confront that right now. He, this is a, just a dramatic, I think, beautiful piece of Scripture. He writes in chapter 1, verse 28 of Philippians, Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Let me repeat that again. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. That's a powerful piece of Scripture. It's a reminder that in our patience, we are projecting power. We are projecting our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, our King. And that's incredibly valuable for you as you move forward. This is a piece of Scripture that I would encourage you to put to memory so that you're encouraged by it. Let's read our Scripture for the day and pray over it and get into some of the details. Are you ready? Let's do this. I'm going to pray over this first of all and then read it. Heavenly Father, we, we bring this 
moment to you, this time to you. We are your servants. We are under your authority. We proclaim no power at all, but we proclaim as empty vessels we are ready to receive your power. We stand ready for you to open our minds, our hearts, and put our hands, our voices, our ears, our eyes into action so that we would exemplify your son Jesus and do the work that you've called us to. And we do pray, Lord, that this mighty message, your gospel message, would be cast across this region, that this church would be a big part of that, a bright light here, and that your kingdom would grow. Hear my prayers, Lord, as we read from the book of James and we read your great word. Chapter 5, starting with verse 7, and we're going to read through verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or on earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Beautiful piece of scripture. There's a lot of theology in this, by the way, much more than we can uncover today. We're going to focus on the idea of patience. That's going to be our dominant thought. So there will be some things that we won't be able to unpack, but we want to really lean in on this dominant thought. The next slide here has the outline, the journey that we want to go through today. And as we look at this outline, we're going to spend a few minutes on the big idea that the Lord is calling us to patience in the moments that count. We want to be patient as we wait for the Lord's return. And then we're going to go from there and uncover through the lens of the gospel what it looks like to exemplify graceful patience using the story of the farmer. And then we're going to pivot to what it looks like to have merciful patience through the lens of the prophets. And he uses Job as a particular example, but the prophets exemplify a much bigger part of God's story, and we're going to include a bit more than just Job in that conversation. For the first component of our conversation and time together today, we're going to talk about this big idea, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. And this is critically important. I want to just make sure that you understand the vision, the value, the excitement of what God has prepared for you for all eternity. So many times we refuse to be patient in life because we don't allow our hearts to have a big enough vision for where God is taking us in the future. And because we don't have that big enough vision, we become impatient, don't we? Because we don't have that big enough vision. I could tell you that during the winter, if we 
so happen to have the blessing of a holiday to go somewhere warm, we anticipate that even though it's snowy and cold outside and we're shivering, we're excited because of the vision of the opportunity to go somewhere warm and warm up. And it helps us get through that cold season, doesn't it? Well, God gives us similar visions to help us get through these colder seasons. And the book of Revelation has such beautiful visions of where we're headed for all eternity. It's important to go and read this again. Now, James didn't have this yet because John hadn't written it yet. But that's okay. We have it. And we should use it as encouragement, shouldn't we? Because they were anticipating the Lord's return. And by the way, they had the benefit, many of them, of spending time with Jesus personally. They were still alive, right? Spending time with Jesus personally. James was Jesus' half-brother, okay? I say half-brother because Jesus' father is in he- the Father in heaven, right? Not Joseph. They had the opportunity to see Jesus resurrected after being on the cross and the joy of that and spending time with him in his resurrected state. So they had these experiences and they were looking forward to coming home permanently in the kingdom of heaven. So let's read what John writes in the book of Revelation about the new Jerusalem because we want to set this vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now amongst his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen or ear has heard or heart imagined what God has prepared for us in the glories of the kingdom ahead. And we should hold on to these visions because they are going to happen and we are going to be part of it. And it should encourage us forward in these seasons of the winter. They should give us patience as we sit in these moments. Let's unpack James a bit more and see where he's going to take us in this experience. James takes us through <clears throat> two stories, and they represent two kinds of visions of patience. The first one is the farmer, and he's calling to action his people to be patient over the scope of time, to let God bring to the people the grace that he has promised. That's the first one, over the course of time. The second one, which we'll get to in a second, is to be patient in the midst of persecution and suffering. Let's talk about the call to action over the course of time. The way I've built this particular visual is designed to take you through a journey similar to what James was taking his people through. 
It's designed to go from the top left to the right, and then down, and then to the left. So the people at this time are sitting in a place of suffering. They're sitting in a place of challenge. Creation is not working out for them. As Jews, they understand the vision that the book of Genesis brought to them. They understand the beauty of the kingdom of heaven through the original lens of the garden. And they yearn for that again, but they don't live in that moment right now. They're under the persecution of the Romans. They're under the persecution of Jewish leadership, and it's hard for them. They live in a place that feels like creation is broken. It feels like every time they want to participate in the economic outcomes of creation, it's impossible for them to do this. James talks about the people grumbling as a result of this, but I want to put some additional words in front of you that will help unpack the brokenness that they felt in addition to grumbling. Grumbling is an outcome. Here's some of the other symptoms of creative, the creation that's broken. Accusation, sloth, hoarding, greed, envy, entitlement, sickness, all other kinds of symptoms of a broken creation. The vision they had in front of them, however, was a renewed creation. We just read about that. A creation in which there's no brokenness. A creation in which our work is fruitful. It's not cursed any longer. A creation in which we are invited perfectly to recreate. What a beautiful beautiful future that is. And they yearned for that. And they felt like Jesus was going to come back immediately. He was just with them, walking, resurrected, and then had ascended to heaven, right? On the Mount of Ascension. And the angel had said, why are you looking around? He's going to come back the same way he left. Get to work. Well, they probably thought, we're not going to have to work very long, are we? Because he's going to come back quickly. But in fact, it's taken 2,000 years and it may take a little bit longer. Second Peter says, the Lord's not slow in coming as we imagine slowness. The Lord is patient to allow all those who are going to be part of the kingdom to come into the kingdom. Peter describes that to us, and it's important that we understand that that is part of God's heart. God loves us so much that he's patient so that we can all come in Creation is what the Bible describes as grace. What is grace? Grace is receiving something that we haven't earned. That's what grace is. And that's described in the example of the farmer. The farmer receives rain at the beginning of the season, then tills the soil and makes it ready, plants, does the work. But without the spring rains that come after the fall rains, the farmer is not going to have a very good crop. So the farmer relies upon the grace of the Lord, the undeserved blessing to rain on those spring crops and to really surge them to come up out of the ground for a fine harvest. This is the example that James is giving his people, the example that over time God is calling us to the work that we are asked to do. And in the midst of that, God is going to provide the power behind it. And we are to be patient and receive that power. Many times we say no to God because we don't trust the outcome. We grumble. 
And when we grumble, what we're actually saying is, Lord, your grace is not enough. When we grumble, we are articulating that. Your grace is not enough. And we're judged as a result of it because the Lord is saying, no, my grace is enough. Please sit patiently and watch me do the things that God does. Be humbled and know that I'm God. Be amazed and know that I am God. And so often we're not willing to do that. Instead, what we do is we go back to the first three chapters of Genesis and we say to God, I want to be like you. I want to be a God. And when we grumble, we're saying, the way you're doing this is not working out so great. I'd like it to work out differently. I'd like my timeline to be the timeline and not your timeline. That's what we say when we grumble. And we're judged as a result of it, just like Adam and Eve were judged. So, brothers and sisters, the urgency of what James is telling us is to be careful about that grumbling. This is not to say that we shouldn't be encouraging to each other in these difficult times, that we shouldn't go to the Scriptures for guidance and pray fervently at these times. We need to do all these things. And so, let's be careful about our behavior. Let's go to the one who can provide. Let us not grumble, but come together as a community and ask the Lord to come and provide to us in these moments of struggle in which time is causing us to be impatient. And let us ask the Spirit to give us the patience that's necessary to complete this vision. John 1, 16 through 17, such a beautiful verse. It encompasses both this slide and the next slide that I'm going to share with you. But the first part of this, verse 16 says, from his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. How powerful is that? We had an opportunity as a church to go through this experience over COVID, didn't we? We didn't have a church. I, some of you remember that. We were asked not to go to the school anymore, and we were wandering in the desert. And uh, we were blessed enough to be able to go and do church in Bellevue for a time uh, with a sister church that was so gracious to share their space with us. But there was grumbling during this time because we didn't have a space. And by the way, the Lord doesn't need a building. We are the Lord's building, aren't we? We are the body. We don't need a building, but we wanted one. And can the, can the Lord use a building? Yes, absolutely. But we didn't need one, and, we, and many grumbled. I grumbled during this time. I'll confess it. Lord, why have, you, why have you been kicked out of our building? Why do we have to go all the way to Bellevue? And we, we looked up here at this building that we're in right now with desire. <laughs> why are we in that building? We had looked up at this building for, I don't know, Colleen, how long? 15 years, 20 years we wanted this building, and the Lord hadn't given it to us, and it was empty, and we're like, this doesn't make sense. And then after COVID was done and everything had calmed down, and everyone had thought, there's no way anything can possibly happen in our humanness. God goes, now I will do my work, and you will see my power. And we get in here, and it's just like, we couldn't have done that. Only God could have done that. That was amazing. His time, not ours. It's what's important. His time, not ours. And the building that we're in right now brings us together not because of the building, 
but because we're a people. This is a place for us to meet as a family. We're brothers and sisters. We're sons and daughters of the kingdom. And this is where James takes us next in his storyline. Go ahead, Pam. Thank you. James is going to take us now to the place of relationship. The first slide was about the patience in the middle of the brokenness of creation and our dependence upon God in that space over the course of time. Now James is going to take us to the place of relationship. And James is going to use Job as an example. And Job is a very interesting case study as one of the prophets because he suffers horribly. And then he builds an argument for chapters with his friends as to why he was suffering. Over and over and over he argues, why me? It shouldn't have been me. What did I do wrong? And they have philosophical debate after philosophical debate. And at the end, the Lord comes in and says to Job, who do you think you are? And he spends three chapters describing to him how great he is and how dependent Job is on the relationship with the Lord. And Job repents. And he says, I am unworthy. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for that. What is mercy? Mercy is not receiving something that we deserve to receive. In the case of Jesus, it's the punishment, right? All of humanity has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and as a result, lives separate from God, except for the great reconciling work of Jesus Christ. There is nothing we can do in our own to come close to the Lord. It's impossible. But Jesus Christ descended from heaven and took on flesh and did the work that we couldn't do, fulfilling the law, the behavioral patterns that had been set forth through Moses and the other prophets to come back into right relationship with God, but which we could never fulfill because you need to fulfill them both in action and in heart. But Jesus was able to do that. Jesus also took upon himself the punishment that we deserve for our misbehaviors because he's just. He took that upon himself on the cross. That which we deserved and extended mercy to us took on that punishment, took on death on our behalf. Because Jesus is found worthy and sinless, he's resurrected as an example of his perfect life, his sinless death, and invites those of us whom he's called to live in him for all eternity. That's mercy. That is mercy. And we should give great thanks for that mercy. James wants us to understand this, and he says at the end of this description with Job, who the people would have been very familiar with, because they had the book of Job, he says, don't take oaths. If you do that, you're going to be condemned. You know, you think about this for your second, and you're like, what does this mean? The NLT says never to take a note, an oath. The NIV says don't swear on anything. Both give us great insight on this. And as we think through this, what James is saying is, when you take an oath on something, when you swear on something, you're ascribing power 
to that thing. And it can be more than things. It can be people. It can be a philosophy. It can be a movement or a group. It's anything other than Jesus Christ and his mercy extended to us. And we do this as a people group all the time, don't we? We run around saying, this is going to be fixed by this, or that will be fixed by that. We have so many problems in our world right now, don't we? So many problems. At every level you can imagine, we are split as a people group. We're, we're split across ethnic lines, racial lines, economic lines, gender lines, education lines, economic lines. The division is extreme, isn't it? And there's all sorts of groups and philosophies and professors out there that say, if you would just join my group or believe in this philosophy or this idea, it'll all be good. The World Economic Forum is meeting in Davos this week. Did you know that? Guess what? They're going to talk a lot about how to fix all these problems. And guess what? They're not going to talk about Jesus as part of the solution. Guess what? It's not going to get fixed. It's going to be a constant conversation that will never come to an end because there is only one way you can resolve these kinds of problems in the world, and that is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. These are God-sized problems that can only be resolved by God. And we have to patiently wait for God to take the entire world through this journey together and for people to come to the conclusion that all of these tradecrafts and philosophies of humankind will not work. Only the power of the Lord Almighty can fix these things. And Jesus will come back eventually and will recover the entire earth and rebuild it and all of his people. So when we take an oath, what we're saying is something other than Jesus is going to fix this. Or in the case of the church, it is so common to see Jesus plus, isn't it? Jesus plus. Boy, if our church would just preach the gospel and get behind this movement, wow, we would actually, we'd be unstoppable in the community, wouldn't we? That's a lie. The truth is only Jesus Christ is the solution. And so when we take an oath in something other than Jesus, we're denying the power of the good news of Jesus Christ, and we stand condemned because we are saying, Lord, your mercy is not enough. We need to repent of that and sit patiently in these places of suffering that God has called us to. Because when we do that, God will come around us and do the thing that God does and redeem this world. And when we exhibit that patience in the midst of suffering, we project the power that we read about earlier in the Bible, didn't we? Our enemies are amazed by that. They're afraid of that. They're like, how could you sit in the middle of this suffering with such patient confidence? And it's our opportunity to say, because I serve an almighty God and my life is in his hands and my life is eternal and my life here is temporal and is only designed for me to share this good news with you right now until he calls me home. That is the goal. Thank you, Jay. As we wind up today, I want to send you on your mission in the spirit. I'll invite the band up right now if you're not all 
coming up at this moment. Thank you, Jay, for your patience. By the way, I went a little slower in this sermon today because I want to exhibit a personality of patience. So I appreciate, I appreciate you all. Lots of times I like to get up here and just know what the Lord said to me, slow your roll, be a little more patient. And I'm like, okay, God, I'll really try hard at this. <laughs> As we go out today, I want you to take these action points with you. They're critically important. First of all, I want you to take a moment. You can do it now if you'd like. Do it during communion. The elders are going to be up on either side of the room today praying with you or over you if you'd like. <clears throat> There's multiple motions and movements here in the next few minutes for you to ask the Lord to reveal the points of impatience in your life and ask God to give you the biggest one. Go, Lord, I confess we're all impatient at some point. Lord, I'm impatient. Can you reveal the biggest point of impatience in my life? I'd like to hear what that is so that I'm aware of it because I need to stop. I need to repent. I need to say no to that point of impatience and become patient in those moments. I need to stop. I need to turn. And I need to bring patience to those moments. It could be so many different things. So many different things. Our grandson, Matt's two years old. Sometimes when he's over at our house, I have to be patient. <laughs> he comes in like a little tornado and just destroys the place. There's his mommy right there. She knows what I'm talking about. He's two. That's what he does. That's a two-year-old. He's perfectly normal. But you got to be patient. It's like this is what two-year-olds do. God probably looks at us that way and says, yeah, you're only two. You're destroying the house. I'm going to rebuild it. And I'm going to be patient with you. We need to repair relationships. Once we've, once we've revealed and repented, there, there may be a call on your heart from the Lord to go and repair a broken relationship. If you've been impatient with someone, and they can tell, if you've been impatient with someone, it's, it's the right time to go to that person and just sit down with them and go, I got to make a confession to you. I have had a spirit of impatience in our relationship. And I know it hasn't been healthy between us. And I'm repenting of that. And my promise to you going forward is I am going to endeavor in the power of the Holy Spirit to be patient with you. Would you forgive me? And can we move forward with a, a spirit of patience with each other? Give yourself the, the permission to do that this week and to walk through the journey that God wants you to walk through. Let's pray and then let's worship. We're going to have a time of communion up here. Communion is an opportunity for us to come together and use these elements that the church has provided, the, the bread, which sim, is a symbol of God's body, broken for you and for all humankind. And the wine and the juice is a symbol of God's blood, which he shed for you on the cross so that his blood would be in you, surge in you, give you eternal life. We take this communion together in recognition of that great gift, which is the gospel. And we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your work in life and your work on the cross for us. We have boxes up here. Uh, if you are inclined to give today, we welcome your giving. This ministry moves forward because of the generosity of the people that are part of it. And we thank you for that. 
And again, I want to remind you that the elders are on the, the side of the room here to receive you. Let's close together in a time of worship. Let's give the Lord thanks. Let's hold up Jesus high because he is worthy of our praise. Amen.